Hello, this is Lindsay. And this is Candace. Welcome to our lady part. And we are kind of talking about our vaginas today. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we have a really cool guest with us today. Um, we have Sarah who, Sarah, can you kind of explain to us what you do? Yeah, so I am a fertility coach and we use uh, the tools of, uh, we actually use uh, functional lab testing and help couples that are struggling with infertility make diet and lifestyle changes to uh, dramatically improve the chances of conception. Cool. I'm about to have like a tear come down my face because this is like so in the middle of my life right now that I'm so excited to speak with you today. So I, Candice, I have three kids. Mm -hmm. I never had infertility issues of getting pregnant. I did have two miscarriages in between my pregnancies. Um, But I, and I had like some crazy things happen to me during my pregnancies, but I didn't have any trouble getting pregnant. And Lindsay, you don't have any kids yet. No, but Um, I've, I've had two miscarriages. One was at eight weeks and one was a chemical pregnancy. So I don't really know how that counts, but um, still both losses. Oh, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. But um, so Lindsay, um, I don't know, Sarah probably doesn't know a a little bit about you. So just kind of like shortly tell Sarah a little bit about your medical history and your diagnosis and what you deal with today and how fertility could affect, you could be affected by infertility and stuff in the incoming future. I'm just going to wrap this up in a nutshell. Um, So I had ulcerative colitis and I lost my colon three years ago. And so with my past history of fertility and losing your colon, for some reason, there's a slight correlation between infertility and not having a colon. And there's not a lot of research on the market about it, apparently. But um, everyone seems to, to see that right now that I look like I can get pregnant, but we're not really sure what'll happen until we start trying, which we're not going to start trying for a few more months. Yeah. Just in case it does happen really quickly. There's a big trip. I don't want to be like super pregnant on or like get into another country and, you know, need to have Have a baby birth. (laughs) Um, So that would be like, that's like, you know, wishful thinking, but essentially that's where I'm at is making sure that I'm healthy enough when we do start trying to conceive and hold on to a pregnancy, have a successful pregnancy and then, have a you know healthy baby healthy healthy birth and baby yeah yeah well that's interesting you talk about the ulcerative uh, colitis so I actually had someone on my um, podcast uh, get pregnant naturally talking about so there there's some medical studies now coming out about the efficacy of the functional approach so this actually was study of people that had IBD so Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and going on the AIP diet which is the autoimmune protocol diet and within um yeah, so Angie Alt is uh, is from Autoimmune Wellness. Um, she did the medical study with Dr. Rob Abbott, so he's a medical advisor. And they found within, I think it was in six weeks, 75, 75% of the people with um, IBD went into remission. And that was, these people have been long-term IBD, like obviously like Crohn's and colitis is, you know, serious, as you know, yeah. um, disease. And they were able to go into remission. So that stuff is like insanely powerful and it's not just the diet piece. It is, um, you know, looking at, at lifestyle as well, but, um, yeah, so the, there, there was that studies been published and then they just published another study this year about Hashimoto's and, and, and the impact of the AIP diet, the autoimmune protocol diet and, um, being able to have, there was 18 people in the study. One had to leave the study, um, because she got pregnant after eight weeks and the rest were able to reduce their medication and um, improve their thyroid markers. So 
That's amazing. Yeah, that is super amazing. Yeah. So, Sarah, Mm -hmm. how did you become an infertility or fertility coach? Yeah, so I had my own journey with um, infertility. So I had, um, so so basically, I'll just kind of give my little story. So in um, my early 20s, I was joked that I was having menopausal hot flashes and and it turns out that I was. So I had regular periods at that time. At that time, so by regular I mean a couple times a year. I had this weird fungal rash on my chest. I started getting acne. I didn't have any acne previously, so acne in my 20s. And then um, I had yeast infections. So I went to my doctor. I was put on the birth control pill. Obviously, that didn't correct any of those uh, those issues, but it obviously regulated my period, but it's falsely. Um, then I had this plan to get like married at 25. Did that and got. I wanted to have my kids at 28. So at 28, I came off the birth control pill, and my my periods are still irregular. The acne was still there. The yeast infections were still there, and so was rash. So, um, and then I went to see my doctor. I had some testing. So I was told they had premature ovarian failure, which is the loss of function of the ovaries before the age of 40. Until the only way that I ever have my own that I ever have children was through donor eggs, and didn't get a second opinion. Didn't think any of those health issues were related. And marched off to the fertility clinic and got on a list for donor eggs and was lucky enough on the first transfer to have our daughter. And Ava is 18. So this is back wow. in the day when people and I wow. took donor eggs. People didn't even know what a donor egg even was. And now we've got um, embryo adoption, donation. Yeah. People have gone through so many uh, IVFs that there's little wow. embryos waiting there. So, um, yeah, and then we had a couple embryos left over. Wanted to have the kids close together. Went back in again. That didn't work, and so then I went on another list for a separate donor, and, and had my son um, three years apart from my daughter. So, and then fast forward, my health began to suffer. So after my daughter, I'm having like nine colds every cold, um, nine, yeah, nine colds in one year every cold went into a science infection. I thought it was a great idea to take antibiotics for every cold, which is not a great idea. I totally totally destroyed my my gut flora. Yeah. So, um, so I had chronic sinusitis, chronic bladder infections with peeing blood, uh, chronic. Um, uh, yeast infections at that point and then I ended up uh, I was still on HR for years and then I wanted to take a life coaching course took this life coaching course that's when I discovered I had my own personal wake-up call that I really love health and wellness took a health coaching course and that's when I discovered I had these food sensitivities so for me I'm intolerant to or sensitive to uh, gluten dairy and corn took those out of my diet um, all those health issues started to slowly slowly disappear wow. years a couple years past that discovered I had some gut infections so I had pylori and streptococcus and fungal infections so address those and then also look at the lifestyle too because it's looking at sleep and and stress and all of that and then but i didn't discover any of the sellers for you fully in menopause so if there's if you're still cycling naturally there's things you can do using the, the, the tools of, of, of functional medicine and really getting to the bottom of well, what's going on here yeah holy moly i um didn't have yeast infections ever until i got pregnant the first time and now they happen like maybe once or twice a year and they are the most awful thing in the world. So I cannot imagine having them chronically. Oh no. Sometimes when you have autoimmune issues going on or like you're eating food that you're sensitive to, your body's like attacking itself. So I used to get yeast infections Mm -hmm. all the time and like Mm -hmm. just would call my doctor and be like, can I get some more um, yeast infection medication? That'd be great. Oh, it's rough. Um, so (laughs) <laughs> That's, so when did you, what year did you start being a fertility coach? Yeah, so um, it's been about five years or so now. Oh, so awesome. I kind of did my own, yeah, so it's been my own journey of health and then really wanting to help others um, that are struggling with this. And so yeah, so with, 
Do people reach out to you and just say, hey, I need some help getting pregnant and you look at it more of a like holistic way, not not necessarily like exiting out medical completely. But do you like look at it more as a holistic way to get pregnant and do you coach them like how do you specifically coach them through fertility? Yeah, essentially explain to us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, totally. So uh, most people that come to us have been, like, they've gone through multiple failed IVF IUIs, and they find the functional approach at the end where they're kind of like, ooh, this would be a great case study. Like, ha, 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 let's just try this out. Instead of, so I got my podcast, my book, and all that to really spread the message that there's things we can do before. To me, to me IVF, or donor eggs, are the absolute last step. Like, it's there for you if you need it, What? but why do we go to the OBGYN? The first referral is to the fertility clinic to spend you know, tens of thousands of dollars on, on treatment. So an average IVF takes takes an average of three cycles at a cost of 60K. So why is that our first step? Let's figure out what yeah, is going so on your, to begin with. Your goal so, is to have them come to you first to help, to try to get you to help them first before yeah. they go to IVF. Essentially, heal, like heal yeah, their body I mean, before. Yeah. Absolutely, because we have, you know, everyone's lobbying for to have uh, IVF covered in their, with insurance, which obviously can be a good thing. But if, if they're in 1985, there was 40 uh, fertility clinics in the U.S. And now 2015, there's 440. Like, wh- why this has exploded? It is like a trillion-dollar business. This is big business, and yep. you know, lobbying to have this as part of your insurance when there's other things we can do. Obviously, a functional approach is still an investment, but there's things we can do beforehand. And even if people, I've seen people that have insurance coverage, so they're not paying anything, but going through like six, seven failed IVF. Like the, the physical and the emotional toll is like people are just wiped out after that. They oh, and I see like, it because such a dark hole. Yeah. And oh, people yeah. people document this stuff on YouTube and stuff. So it's yeah. it's known. Yeah. And I've literally watched it firsthand on YouTube videos of people doing like seven to ten IVFs and IUIs and everything else to get pregnant yeah. and then getting pregnant and then losing those babies and just having to go yeah. over and over and over again. So I see it for sure. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. It is terrifying. Yeah, Sorry, Lindsay. Yeah. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not meaning to scare you, Lindsay. I'm on the other end. No, see, and, and for me, um, you know, with my journey with ulcerative colitis, food, like for some people with their type of IBD, their diet changes their health. Yeah. For me, I was in a subclass of person that, that it didn't, it didn't help me. And I changed my diet. It didn't work. But any other piece of my life, like I try really hard not to add extra medicine into my life unless I have to because you're already on enough because I've already been through enough yeah my body's maxed out at what it wants to accept I try not to take um things unless I need them yeah so the holistic approach to me is extremely interesting because I would rather do it all naturally in the way that my body's like made to do it as opposed to forcing it into something that's not right yeah and especially because when you're you're only 28 and being young and all this mm. stuff that you have gone through already, you don't want to have to put your body through even more medical things that aren't yeah. necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so with the functional, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Sarah. I was going to say, I was going to go for you. So you could go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So with the functional approach, it is really, so the diet is part of it, but also all the lifestyle too. Because people be like, oh, eat this healthy diet. And then they haven't addressed all the other stuff going on. So the functional approach, it's, it's all of it, which can be overwhelming when you start out. So we start people off with functional testing. So we, so part of my team, I work with a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. She's the one, one that runs these, these tests. 
then we develop a customized protocol. So even if someone comes with, um, you know, either premature ovarian failure or low ovarian reserve or low AMH or PCOS or endo or unexplained, we, we don't focus on the diagnosis. So we start by doing a health history. It's like a 20 page health his- history, asking questions that you've never even think to be that, that you'd be asked by your physician and really digging into, you know, what's, what's been missed here. And then with the functional testing, we start out by doing a food sensitivity test, and that looks at, so typically in the States, we look at the LEAP MRT. It looks at, it looks at over 200 foods and food chemicals. Uh, foods in the yellow, you keep out for 60 days, and then foods in the red, you're keeping out for 90. And then while we're waiting for the results of the food sensitivity test, we have people do an elimination diet. We have both partners do the elimination diet, even though most people that come to us, it's female factor infertility, and the, the husband's like, or the partner's like, my, my sperm is totally fine. There's always things we can do to <laughs> to improve uh, preconception health for the, ma- the male partner, and he may not even know, like, kind of what to do. So it is very empowering to have the couple together. It takes two to make a good baby. So it's not about him, like you, making all these changes. He's over there having Diet Coke. So it is, um, <laughs> and not to say that's the case, but, yeah, it gets to have the two of you guys together. And so have both partners do the elimination diet, which is then taking out the top allergen. And it's really the gold standard to figure out your, your food sensitivity. And it's to, to, to then, so it's not about you take those, these, these allergens out and then you, you, you systematically reintroduce them. And it's, it's, it's to see how food impacts your body. So you'll, you'll never know. You know, you, you can do the food sensitivity test, come, comes back to your intolerance to all these different foods, but you won't know how it impacts your body. So some people can bring back in corn might flare up their asthma, dairy can make them feel flummy, uh, gluten can have digestive issues, so it's different for everyone. So how full people do that, so it's 10 days of all the top allergens, which are dairy, gluten, soy, corn, peanuts, and eggs, and processed sugar. Take those out of your, your diet for 10 days, systematically reintroduce them, and we like to eat, eat only or, um, organic, non-GMO foods uh, during that time. And then uh, tweak it with the food sensitivity test, and then we do the hormone test, so that's we, so we use the Dutch test that looks at your sex hormones as well as your melatonin and your cortisol. You're really seeing exactly where, which pathway the hormones are going down and what is happening. with People with you know, being told that donor eggs are their only option and actually their estrogen is fine. It's just maybe it's not going down the right pathway. Maybe your cortisol, you're either completely burnt out, it's flatlined, you know, you're not even sleeping, you're exhausted. Um, or it could be spiking. So it's basically to see, you know, exactly what is going on so we can then do a targeted protocol. So that's the, the hormone test. And then we do a stool test. We use the GI map, and that looks at the uh, DNA of your stool. So we're looking for parasites, fungal infections, uh, bacterial infections. And I'd say the majority of people we work with, there's something going on in the gut. Yeah. And so especially if they've been on long-term hormonal birth control, that can predispose you to food sensitivities and gut infections and also uh, nutrient, absor- um, uh, nutrient absorption issues. So you'd be eating this beautiful, healthy diet so you're, so you're well-fed but malnourished. You yeah, so have you these, ever... These gut infections. Ha- Sarah, have you ever had... Because um, just think hearing all of this, what I am curious about, do you ever have a couple come in and the guy is like, oh, I'm A-OK, everything's good with me. And it actually ends up being him being, I don't want to say issue, but yeah, like being the issue. Because I feel like a lot of people, when they think about infertility and issues with that, it's they always kind of think it's the girl who just can't get pregnant. Yeah, like it's 60-40, uh, 60% female factor infertility, 40% men, even though now studies are showing more 50-50. 
and it, sometimes it seems to be you know focusing on the woman. Uh, obviously, if you're, you're getting some there's issues with the sperm, but um, there's always things like typically we'll see infections being passed back between each other. So H. pylori, which is passed through saliva, that being passed between between couples with men, it can be anything from cholesterol issues. So maybe they're you know high cholesterol, and or a lot of the times it seems flagged as high, and then the functional range it's it's not really high, but um, so we so basically for the both partners we do a blood chemistry review and it's not to diagnose it's to educate to see well what's the mess miss so the functional range uh, range uh, reference ranges are for healthy people whereas the conventional uh, reference ranges are for people with disease so these these ranges will catch it before it actually goes so we can see we regularly see thyroid dysfunction um, in men, like maybe B, B12 issues, like it's different for everyone. Blood sugar issues, we see that regularly. Cholesterol, blood sugar, um, and then also we can see in the in the in the blood cam review um, potential gut infections if there's certain areas that are um, high or low. It indicates uh, to look further for potential gut infections, and even shows up if there's potential food sensitivity issues. So, yeah. So my next um, question regularly. Yeah. My next question was like, so do you, have you ever had a couple come in and a female be perfectly healthy? She thought that it was her issue. It's not her issue. And it could it be like guys, their sperm is kind of like basically okay, but they just have like a food sensitivity and that could affect their infertility. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We've had the guys that, you know, I, again, like most people that come to me would say they don't have a food sensitivity. I'd say 100% of them do. They come in and there's something going on that if they optimize, there's you know when they when we do the elimination diet, they're like, oh, that that bloating I had all the time, or oh, those are headaches. I <laughs> oh, had that wasn't that. normal. <laughs> I'm not supposed to bloat. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's not normal. Yeah, <laughs> I have yeah, a question. Like common, but like, yeah, it's common but not normal. Um, so going to back to, so obviously I know a lot about the women's body cause I'm a woman and we are typically pretty well yeah. educated. I would yeah. say typically, um, but for men, you would hope you would hope, but for men, can you have like a high sperm count, but the sperm be ineffective? Like, is that a thing? Um, yeah, like we, so we're, we're not going to be again, like when people come in, we're not, obviously if there's low sperm count, like we, we don't focus on those numbers we're looking at okay. the whole body I see. so to go into like deep into the sperm that's something to do with the re so if they're going to flag something oh wait something's wrong with sperm but then we would see well why is it wrong because they're going to say do ICSI or they're going to you know maybe take some supplements that aren't aren't targeted so we would dig into it further well why why is that off maybe there is a gut infection maybe you know environmental toxins you're getting exposed like for for male fertility, like soy, which is a phytoestrogen, that can impact uh, sperm quality. Obviously, um, electromagnetic fields, so having the, 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 the cell phone in your the front pocket, the laptop on the lap, um, the Wi-Fi, like all of these environmental toxins are really harmful for sperm, as well as we're in the middle of a huge food experiment with our food being free with glyphosate, which is a herbicide linked to um, infertility and all sorts of other health diseases um, are health problems. So going organic and non-GMO, um, yeah, like or it could be a zinc deficiency. Like it's 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 different for each person. So the blood chemistry. So we don't. It's our, our whole thing is test, don't guess. So look at the blood chemistry. What's been missed, and then dig into testing. And then that's kind of where the rubber hits the road, where you have to then make these diet and lifestyle changes. And a lot of times, you know, the couples that I'm coaching. They are, you know, busy working professionals and, you know, maybe they're working 
spend one fellow like working 90 hours a week. Like where's the baby sitting in there? Yeah. And, and couples working, you know, really long hours, not being able to prioritize. I think we all, as a you know, general rule, we all know to eat. We need to eat well and exercise. And the functional approach takes that, but it goes, it goes deeper. And really like we look into sleep to optimize that. So there's, it's like taking those, those stressors in the body, which are a food sensitivity, a gut infection, environmental toxins, so your personal care, your cleaning chemicals, all those important for female and male fertility, plastics, water, um, mental, emotional stress. So even the stress of infertility is likened to a cancer diagnosis. That alone is very stressful just to get honest about the stress. And I think a lot of people in infertility will focus on the mental, emotional side of things and for, and think there's blocks, which there well there could be if there's trauma. We see that a lot. Yeah. But they miss the environmental well, they may get some of the environmental, but they, they definitely will miss the gut infection, the food sensitivity. And the last stressor would be a structural stress. That, so if there's like a pinched nerve or something, they may miss that. So I have two questions for you. Can you go back and just say what you said again about the the diagnosis of infertility, the emotional side of it being similar to a cancer diagnosis? Can you just elaborate on that just a little bit? Because I feel like that is so impactful yeah. and I think it speaks really true I don't have anything else to say to that, but yeah, can you go back on that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, so basically, yeah, it impacts all aspects of your life. And I know when I was diagnosed, I actually said I was fine. I'm like, I'm oh, fine. There's no problem here. I'm just getting through it. And um, I know that I wasn't. So my, my way of coping is doing. And it's really important to, to reach out for support and to get help. Uh, we run a couple times a year uh, mindfulness fertility series. And so it's basically a group program that just focuses I, I co-facilitate it with a therapist, uh, and it's just focusing on mind-body uh, mind stress uh, reduction techniques. So, um, first of all, getting honest about the fact that infertility is extremely stressful, and, you know, if you look through the lens of infertility, it impacts, you know, your joy, your career, your finances, your 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 relationships, your social life. You may, you know, find yourself sending, you know, basically not wanting to hang around with people that have children. So, it's very painful. There's a lot of triggers. Social media can be like that whole comparisonitis or comparing yourself to others can be like a deep, dark hole of, yeah, of pain. Kind of the other people like hitting moving on, on that, and you're stuck. Hitting on that, that social media thing, I am obviously still in a whole bunch of groups of like getting pregnant groups and trying to conceive and mommy mm-hmm. groups and stuff just because I do have three kids and they're all young. I have a two, four and seven year old. So it wasn't like it was oh, wow. forever ago that I was pregnant. So I mm-hmm. um, are in those groups and stuff. And a lot of the times, sometimes I do see those moms who are having infertility issues and going through that journey and being in those groups. And I, me not even having fertility issues of getting pregnant, I can't imagine being in their shoes and being a part of those groups and seeing all of these people get pregnant and stuff and them not still not being able to get pregnant. So it's got to be tough. Yeah, you got to figure out what, what works for you. Some of the, the groups can be helpful, but I think if there's a lot of, um, and some of them, if they're, it's just a lot of, whining like if you're it's fine to vent but if you're if you're if some of them can just be very very depressing and so yeah, i feel like that's facebook as a whole figure, <laughs> i know like you have to figure out what feels right for you and to be able to set set boundaries and go wait a minute i actually didn't feel any better when i went into this group i felt more you know despondent or, or feel hopeless about it or if it makes you feel if you, if you see someone else it's working for them 
some people are triggered by that and that makes them feel worse. Others like, oh, tell me more success stories. I, you know, I want to see that it's worked for someone else. That, that helps them. Yeah, like really helps them chugging the along. That work for you. Yeah. yeah. I think that's true. A lot of times, whenever I was in support groups for IBD, I had a really hard time being in them because I just, I was like, I don't want to hear you. I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I don't want to hear about your grievances. My day sucked too. Yeah. So I had a hard time with yeah. it because it's like, I don't like that group whining. I was like, pull up your pants and go on with your day sucker. Like, yeah, I'm the same Go way. talk to your therapist mm-hmm. about it. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if it's just because I always had such a positive outlook on like, I'm so lucky to be alive versus like, poor me. Why did this happen to me? Yeah. Um, even if, even if, you know, we're three or four years down the road, I haven't had a baby and I have issues I don't think that I would ever sit in the floor and let me you know cry about it because I've already had terrible things happen yeah and so I just think and also you and I have already discussed the possibility of like adoption for you and stuff like that and you had already said that you also have gone through those emotions yourself already even previously to trying to conceive and stuff and you've already accepted those and stuff so I think that probably also helps you too I, I made up my mind a long time ago when I decided to have the surgery that I was going to be a mom one way or another what didn't it didn't have to yeah. be natural so yeah yeah so um Sarah how many couples come into you and are not still not able to get pregnant after going through your program um well so we have a 45 percent success rate okay so, so the, those yeah. other percentage how often do you see them continuing on with like IVF or moving a separate way like adoption or anything like that yeah and so because I've shared my story around donor eggs a lot of people will come to me and actually they've decided they you know they don't want to go the functional approach for donor eggs they don't want to make those kind of changes it doesn't feel right for them they they want to go the donor egg now the thing is for donor eggs it's it's still a 50% success rate so there's things we can do to help uh, improve the chances of that working. So they decided that's the option they want to do. And so we help them do that. Other people, you know, they just want to go to try, you know, try, try the natural approach. Mm-hmm. Other people, I have to fight, fight them off from going to the clinic. It's like, Oh, like you, you're, you know, you've done a protocol, you've, you've invested in this testing, you found issues and they're, they're setting up the appointment for IVF the following month. We're like, well, wait, we found this. Let's work on, you know, addressing these issues. Let's yeah. So it's the, our, so our, our, program is six months and in a very short period of time you can make massive changes it's basically if you don't think it's going to work it won't work so i'm not i feel like six months six months is like nothing compared to people's infertility journeys like i know people who have gone through infertility journeys for years and years and years so six months is not Mm -hmm. uh that big of a time to set up like set aside to try something and and i'm different am i being judgmental by saying and I may, I guess I am being judgmental by saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway because Go for I'm it, just going to be the human in me. But like, if I feel like the functional approach is very doable, I mean, you're it's a lifestyle change, and then when you put your mind to a lifestyle change. Like it's yeah. it's like I feel like it's saying about our society when you're sick and you go to the doctor and they give you medicine, but your option could have been change your food or or work out more or whatever, and that could help you, and you still choose the medicine over the lifestyle change. I feel like you're being, and I'm gonna say it lazy. You are. You're you being are. Lazy. No, because I'll, I'll kind of put it. So it's sorry. not mean. I'll put my little two cents in. So um, I had cholestasis with both Meyer and Wells's, my youngest two's pregnancies, which. Basically, in a short story, it's like my body forms this like super 
bad bile that can be fatal to my children if they're not. And I had to take like a specific medication every single day, three times a day during their pregnancies. And I itched like a maniac. Like it literally looked like I was on drugs because I was itching so bad. And they had to be born no later than 37 weeks. Um, so after that, I there's no scientific proof that this has anything to do with your gallbladder, but I have, I'm in an ICP, which is like a, um, a cholestasis. It's, it's, I don't even know what ICP means, but it's something to do with cholestasis, (laughs) but I'm, I'm in the group of a whole bunch of moms who have also been in this on Facebook. And a lot of them, like a big chunk of them had gallbladder issues afterwards and I started having major gallbladder issues and like flare-ups to where I was like on the floor in a ball because I was having like gallbladder attacks and I went to two different doctors and they both told me I needed it taken out and that I had like gallstones and it was really bad and blah 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 or you could like lower like your like carbon take like pasta and fatty foods and stuff like that. And so I did. And then probably like six months later, I went back to the doctor and they did an ultrasound because I was like, maybe I should really get this taken out. And there was no gallstones in my gallbladder anymore. And so do you still have your organ? I still have my organ. I did not get it surgically removed like they told me to. Wow. So I still have it and I haven't had any issues with it since then. And you still do low carb. I well, so I mean, I don't go every single day thinking like, oh, I have to eat low carbs, but I, I was eating pasta like two or three nights a week. We made a life adjustment. And I feel like once you make, a, I mean, personally, and I can say this speaking from a personal experience, once you make a life adjustment and you stick to it for a little bit, you're not sacrificing anymore. Yeah, it's I think life. I just like consciously, like subconsciously do it. Like I'm not making pasta three days a week anymore. And yeah. like I might have it like once a month if that, if I go out to dinner somewhere and I know that I like their pasta dish, I'm going to get it. And it doesn't affect me like it used to because yeah. I'm not eating pasta all the time like I was um and like also like milk is like really high and like fat and stuff like that so I was eating like bowls of cereal all the time and now I don't eat any cereal with milk and stuff and so I feel like you've do you feel like you've had a loss because you made like a no I think at the time it was like like oh I could never do that but then like I just did it and then it's not even a big deal anymore yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot I think a lot of people they make these changes. Yeah, cuz changing your diet, there's people going to be looking at you going, "What are you doing?" cuz they're kind of like, "Well, maybe I should do it too." But, "Oh, I don't want to. It looks so horrible." People <laughs> say to me, "Well, what do you eat?" Cuz yeah, cuz I don't do dairy, gluten, or corn. I'm like, "I eat freaking awesome food. I, there's no yeah. deprivation or starvation here." And and you know, I don't want to feel like garbage. And yeah, doing the pharmaceutical route, that is, you know, some people have to do it. And you got to see what feels right for you. If it, if but to me, it's more of a, of a, a magic pill, kind of like, oh, I'm going to take this. Because doing the diet and lifestyle changes, yeah, it can be hard in the beginning. But if it was, you know, it's, it, it just, it's worthwhile, though. Anything worthwhile, it takes a little bit of effort. And, but to be able to do this yourself and know that you can actually be, it's empowering. Instead of sitting back and waiting for someone else in a white coat to, um, to help yeah, you. And, you know, I, yeah, I, I believe in a, in a, a board of directors, you have, especially for fertility, you have your, your, your OBGYN, your RE, your fertility coach, your nutritionist, your masseuse, your chiral, your acupuncturist, like all of them are at the table, but you're in the center and you're the connector of your own healing and you, you, you decide which, which one to use. And it's not just going straight to the person in the white coat. They're part of the team, so they're not the only person. Yeah. 
Yeah, and also you have to take your own health in your hands too. Like it's it's serious. Like when it's oh, you do have yeah. to take your own. And then there's no doc. You're not going to go to a doctor and they're going to say, you know what? I'm going on this journey with you. I choose you today because they have so many other patients. You have to be the person that says today I choose myself and I'm going to go you on have this to do journey. The work for it. You have yeah. to work for it because it's you. There's no one else that's going to do it for you. You have to fight for your own wellness. Yeah, and I will always stand mm-hmm. by that. And I'll. I will encourage all the other patients out there to do that. But I, I do, I want to talk a little about your success. And so can you, um, without giving anything away, any specifics, but can you talk a little bit about when you had a devastated couple come to you and you've helped them come through and, and kind of what does their picture look like now? Or you can go with that too, but also, I don't know if you have one, but do you have one that had ulcer, I can't even say it. Ulcerative colitis. Yeah, ulcer It's like colitis. an ulcer, a tiv. A TIV colitis. IBD. Yeah, IBD. IBD. Yeah. So do you have a patient who, or a client, I don't know what you refer them as, um, that had an IBD issue like Lindsay, who had a success pro- like story that had issues going into it? Um, I don't have one for IBD. Um, so, the, so Angie Alt, she actually had someone who had POS. I don't know if she had... She was in the study with AIP, so I think she must have had, I thought she had IBD. So she had uh, premature ovarian failure, and, and you know, partway through the, the, the program, she was she was pregnant. She was told it was, you know, donor eggs for her. So that's just making those, those and it is about, it is about And that was, well. she got pregnant without um, using donor eggs. That's right. Okay. Pregnant naturally. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. But yeah. Yeah, encouraging. We, yeah. Yeah. Like there's things to do, to do, right? It's empowering. And now these studies are starting to back up this funny how we want to become researchers when it comes to like a functional or a natural approach. We're like, oh, we need to research this whole thing. But we're given a pharmaceutical drug and it's got all these side effects and we're like, oop, we'll just take it. So it's interesting how our, how we've kind of, our society is, is, is that way. But yeah, so for a um, couple, just had a couple came to us, she had, um, Multiple failed IVF and IUI. She had uh, AMH of 0.09, which is basically donor eggs for her. And so she kind of joked this would be a good, you know, would be a good case study. So um, did the functional testing, the food sensitivity, the hormonal stool. And um, she was pregnant naturally within four months. And she had her little baby in September this year. So she, um, we found out, yeah, she had undiagnosed celiac disease. She had like multiple, like nine different gut infections. Like oh there's no, God. there's no wonder she, her body didn't want to conceive. Yeah. Um, there was all this inflammation and infection going on. So, so there was a food sensitivity, so an undiagnosed celiac, uh, gut infections, the environmental toxins that she was exposed to, and then also stress it was a very high stress job. So she was extremely diligent. Like she just went to town. She did everything that we said, worked on everything, and at work and she's like I had the best pregnancy I had the best birth it was all so like easy and her son as well so um yeah that's so good to hear yeah that's that's super awesome so my next question is how often do you see people come in with secondary infertility a lot, yeah. So another person Lindsay, do you know what that is? No. <laughs> okay, Lindsay, secondary infertility is basically when they had a baby okay. and they had no problems. And like, then they can't and then, conceive. And then they couldn't conceive their second time. Okay. Okay, sorry, Sarah, go ahead. Yeah, and that can be equally and sometimes if not more painful than primary infertility, not to compa- compare pain, yeah. but especially when you, you have a little family, you, want, you have a, a child, you want to give this child a sibling, 
you envision another person in your family. Yeah, and, and a lot of times people have time before. frames where they're thinking that too. They're like, oh, oh yeah. when my kid turns three, I want to have a baby like a month or two before yep. they turn three or like they have like the age gap in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same thing where I wanted my kids close together. And so then they yep. were three years and I would have wanted them, you know, less than two, but that didn't work out. But um, yeah, so we've helped people with uh, secondary infertility, again, being told donor eggs are for, for, for them, being told she had premature ovarian failure and she was, was in her program for, she did her mindfulness for, uh, program really worked. She had a lot of, she felt extremely triggered by, families like children everything was very very painful for her a lot of triggers like mental emotional stress um so she did the mindfulness program that really helped her then she did a couple's coaching program did the testing found out she had food sensitivities gut infections hormonal imbalance her estrogen was actually fine um it was just too high so we worked on worked on that other a lot of issues with her around sleep we we work with couples on sleep for months just got a podcast going live in January talking about blue uh, blue light, so uh, which is really important to block the blue and green light from your screens, um, which we're all exposed to, and really use blue light blocking glasses. I've got them, they're sponsoring my my podcast actually. It's red these red glasses and really it blocks 100 percent of the blue light, which is important for your melatonin, which is important for your yeah. For I'm male actually and female fertility, so sleep I is huge. Am a wedding photographer, so I. Yeah. What I do is I edit literally 24-7, and I have blue light glasses that I wear a lot because of yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so absolutely. that's imperative. So we worked on that all that with her, and then she went, I think it was like eight or nine months after working with us, and she went to the clinic because she was going to do an egg retrieval to prepare in the new year to um, to, to start going through with a with a, an IVF, and they went in there to do the ultrasound, and they're like, you're pregnant. Oh, awesome. So that was pretty fun so yeah there's just um just making these these changes can be really and it, like it, it work, doesn't work for everyone so we have a 45 percent. you know we're not here yeah. promising everyone and the thing with fertility clinic people think they're going there they're going to spend all this money but an IVF has an average of 30 percent success rate a donor eggs are 50 percent success rate IUI has like a 10 percent success rate so you know and you know tens of thousands of dollars so they're not promising either but people think that is like ooh, that's a that seems more official going that way. But again, you have to do what feels right for you. The approaches that feels right for you, because if, if you don't believe it, it's not going to work. Yeah. So do you have couples come into you? But Okay. So ideally, how would you like for it to work? Would you like for couples who have been trying for six months who can't get pregnant to come to you first before they go to an infertility specialist or like a year or when would... When would ideally you would want someone to come to you before they get pregnant if they can't get pregnant? Yeah, like in the perfect world. So it's um, after 35, six months, after uh, under 35 a year. And then they would start making these, these um, we'd look at a health history, we do a blood chemistry review with them, we do the functional testing if necessary, depending on what, what we see. Like we're seeing people that have gone through years and years. So we will go to the testing right away. So it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone has to go to the testing, but like a blood chem review would then indicate what's going on. But um, yeah, it's, it's sort of, well, what's been missed? Is there blood sugar? Is there, we see, we regularly see either um, hypothyroidism, undiagnosed Hashimoto's, like a dysregulated thyroid where the people are being told, oh, my TSH is normal. And you know, for the functional ranges, it's below two or 1.5. So um, and they don't even, people aren't even looking at their, um, the full panel, looking at anybody. So missing, 
missing um, things there and basically being put on Synthroid and thinking that's, you know, fixing the issue. But the thyroid is the canary in the coal mine and people are having repeat miscarriages. Well, is your thyroid optimized? Is your T4 like really digging to the thyroid with miscarriage? Yeah, gut infections, iodine deficiency, um, progesterone deficiency, people with MTHFR uh, gene. I had Dr. Ben Lynch on. He's a He's an expert on MTHFR and um, he's making sure at a minimum, like you've got to be on a methylated folate. You don't want to take folic acid. That's a synthetic form of folate. You want to make sure it's a methylated folate. So, yeah, digging into those pieces, there's lots to do in the functional approach. Um, and, we, and we end up working with a lot of people in the medical profession that are going through infertility, doctors, nurses, and then a lot of busy professionals, lawyers, accountants, um, because it's a very targeted approach and not just throwing a dart at a dartboard yeah. and walking away. It's like, wait, here's the test, but then you've got to do the work. So would you take someone like me? So I have had issues with pregnancy in the past, but right now I'm not, we're, we have no idea what's going to happen with me and Ben when we start trying. Yeah. Would Would you take a patient like me that's, that's starting the pregnancy journey, but is also like terrified of oh, infertility? Yeah, absolutely. To be able to prepare, like preconception health is huge. Like it takes eight, eight, it takes ninety days for the egg to renew itself, and life cycle of sperm is seventy to eighty days. So in a short period of time, like what, especially if you had miscarriage, right? So like what else is going on in there that's been potentially been missed, so you don't have to experience that again. It's just sometimes people are in a panic and they they don't want to take that time. So again, it has to feel right. I have a question for you. So how do you find a fertility coach? I literally just Googled fertility coach, and the first three things that popped up were IVF. Um, Two were sponsored. (laughs) One was just probably they have a good SEO um, person on their website. So how do you find a a fertility Mm -hmm. coach, and how do you know that they're going to do the functional approach as opposed to just going straight to here's some medicine? And I also have another question kind of piggybacking off that, so if you want to include the answer in it. So – to use you as a fertility coach for like all of our listeners and stuff like that, do they have to be local to you? Like, can you send off those testing that you need to other local places that are near them or do they have to be local to use you as a fertility coach? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just answer yours first. So, um, so all, I work with couples world worldwide, uh, North America, Europe, Australia, it's all, all done via zoom. And so, so which is a, a video, um, conferencing, um, uh, app, and basically, the testing, it's shipped all, it's shipped worldwide. The food sensitivity, depending on where you are, it will depend on which test to use. Um, we will, sorry, that, that, that's just for the food sensitivity. So depending on where you are, we, we may change the actual test we use. But um, they're all shipped worldwide. So food sensitivity um, is either um, you go to a local lab and do a blood draw, or you, there's one you do a finger stick at home. The Dutch test, which is the hormone, you're doing... You're urinating on pieces of cardboard, and that's going back to the lab. It sounds very rudimentary, but it's a very sophisticated <laughs> test. Yeah. Um, the, stool, the stool test is, is self-explanatory. You're doing a sample and sending it back to the lab. And then, then we also do a hair test. You're just taking clippings. So it's very 2019, 2020, very um, easy access, and then sending it back to the lab. And then the functional diagnostic nutrition t- practitioner I work with, she reviews the, the information, develops the protocol. And, yeah, and as far as... Um, finding a fertility coach again you got to figure out what it is you're doing so if you're if you decided that IVF is 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 right for you like we offer mind um, mind body solutions so to me if you're going through IVF at a minimum you need to look at your your mindset to, to actually visualize this thing working you're spending tens of thousands of dollars 
needs, that's what you want to work. So, but there are fertility coaches that just focus on getting you through all the different injections, what this whole thing would entail. That is not what I do. So mine is actually preventing you, not preventing you from going, but basically if you have, that's the last step. Like what's going on? It's trying to get you not to go to IVF first, basically. Pardon me? I said you are basically the step to try to go to before you turn to IVF as like IVF being your last option. Yeah, because I, I interviewed Dr. Ben Lynch and like going back to him and his book Dirty Genes, like he he is freaking smart and um, an expert on on MTHFR and talking about what he's seeing studies where infertility is being passed on to the next generation. So if we haven't figured this out, we're potentially passing this on to our children, which is epigenetics, and um, and people going through IVF, you know, having not addressing these issues, having hard pregnancies, hard postpartum period. Children with food sensitivities, you know, um, which is that's rampant with strawberry allergies and peanut allergies and shellfish for children um, and other skin issues, eczema, mood issues. So to me, this the, the, the body is yelling out to you, hey, hey you know, something's wrong here. Let's let's get to the bottom of, of why. So again, you have to figure out for you if, if that if the IVF feels right for you, that's where you go. But I would suggest to get someone to, to help you with it but um from from my standpoint it's a, it's a functional fertility coach so that's that's the approach i take yeah i love that yeah me too that's awesome i think you've just changed my life my next like <laughs> complete year of life this has been extremely eye-opening and and informative um you've taught a lot and you've well, talked I think every, what I love best about everything, everything you said, you've backed up with like science. Yeah. And a lot of times we hear stuff and we're like, oh, that sounds so good. This is a holistic, but sometimes. Yeah. But it's like, but how legit is that? How legit is that? And I feel like you, mm-hmm. you have backed everything up very well. You've given great advice. And from someone who's been on both sides of it, I do like try to eat very healthy and live a healthy life and make sure I exercise and move a lot. But also I did rely on medication for a lot of years to like try and save me. I can see yeah. that this is this is like I don't think this is I don't think anything about this podcast or that Sarah is trying to say is like medicine is bad, which is it, no, it's yeah, not at all. I'm just saying no. that this is very there's relevant. other choices. There's other choices, and and this is a very relevant choice that this could be your answer as opposed to IVF or yeah. whatever else you guys yeah, are saying. Absolutely. Do you have any more questions for Sarah before we have her tell us all about where people can find her? I was just about to say, Sarah, where can we find you? Yeah, because- Sarah, tell our listeners where you where they can find you, what you have going on. I know you had mentioned that you also have a podcast and you had wrote a book and everything. So can you tell us a little bit where our listeners can find you? Yeah, so you can find me on the Get Pregnant Naturally podcast. It's on iTunes and Stitcher. So I interview functional medicine experts and experts in the uh, natural fertility and mind-body fertility space. So really cool conversations going on there. Just really looking at this this infertility and in air quotes uh, diagnosis in a completely different way. And then, um, yeah, I you can also find me on, um, I, my book is on Amazon, so uh, Fabulously Fertile. And um, I offer a three-day fertility diet challenge. So for you and your partner, if you want to start eating um, foods that are anti-inflammatory, you can go to fertility diet freebie, dot com and Lindsay's going to it right now. Diet freebie <laughs> <challenge>. <laughs> Lindsay's going to it right now. She's ready. Um, but 
Thank you, Sarah, so much for being on our podcast today. We learned so much information. I know Lindsay is super, super grateful for this conversation, and I'm sure many others will be too. Um, We will post the link to Sarah's book in our details on iTunes, so you guys can go to her at the Amazon and see that, and we'll also post her links and stuff as well. Um, And like always, you guys can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Our Lady Parts Podcast, and you guys can send us emails or messages if you have any questions for us. And if you have any questions for Sarah, um, I'm sure she would be happy to answer them if you want to reach out to her via her website and stuff. But yeah, Sarah, thank you so much for being on. We appreciate it so much. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. um, We hope you guys have a great week and Merry Christmas. This is coming out on, not Christmas, it's coming out in January. But Merry Christmas. Next week is Christmas, even though it's already been Christmas when you guys hear this. <laughs> yeah. That's our awkward I know. This is how this is our normal awkwardness, Sarah. Sorry. <laughs> but all right, guys. Thank you so much. And Sarah, it was great talking to you. We hope you guys have a great week. Awesome. Thank Thanks you. So all right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.